Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. All right, I welcome you back to your seats. It is time to start and pick up where we left off. We are making progress. We are going to begin Romans chapter 14 this morning. First, we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we look at some passages this morning that are truly some of the most important in the New Testament, exhortations of how we can get along better in unity and be that light to the world, to be effective and productive for you. God, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see these truths and change our hearts and help us to put them into practice. In Christ's name, amen. amen. It was comedian Steve Martin who said... Before you criticize a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you do criticize him, you'll be a mile away and you'll have his shoes. (laughs) And hopefully they were made in Italy and they're very expensive. Not exactly what the Apostle Paul has in mind here in Romans chapter 14. Uh, But he will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, ask us to refrain from criticizing one another in the gray areas of life, behaviors that are not black and white in the Bible. Uh, There is no definitive yes or no in the scriptures. We call these areas matters of conscience. And there are plenty of those to go around there in the first century Rome and also in 21st century Sonoma County. The question is, well, we're called to really love and honor one another above ourselves. And so the question is, how do we do that when each of us has strong and conflicting personal convictions. Well, here comes your answer here in Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 1. The answer, accept your brother. Accept him or your sister whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters, matters that are gray and unclear. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only veggies. Verse 3. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? 
to his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one of you should be fully convinced in your own mind. He who regards one day as special does it for the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. He continues on. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we're living for the Lord. If we die even, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, since he's the Lord of both the dead and the living... You then, why do you judge your brother in these kinds of matters? Or why do you look down on your brother? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written in Isaiah, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. Paul's conclusion, verse 12, So then, each of us will give our own account of himself to God. We will park there and consider these truths before us. Really, this is one of the most crucial and valuable uh, passages in the Bible because of how important unity is. Because unity is so important, without unity in a church, you're not going to be effective, productive, blessed, nothing. In fact, we'll be a laughingstock and a stumbling block to unbelievers who look at Christians who are supposed to be as one, operating in the peace of Christ and harmonizing with all of these differences. And so it's a pretty important passage because so many Christians from so many different backgrounds have so many different personal convictions about every little thing. So this is the way Paul through the Holy Spirit, says that a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of personal ideas and opinions can come together and live in the bond of unity and the bond of love and the bond of peace. And so um, the need for unity cannot be overstated, and so that's why this passage is so important. One, one writer said this. He said, uh, God's people come together with a whole bunch of uh, personal convictions. And God doesn't ask us uh, to erase the convictions, but he asks us to rise above in mutual love and acceptance of one another's in the matters where you cannot find chapter and verse. And as I said, there's quite a few of those things. So what to do? When there's no chapter and verse, well, here's what he says in our passage. Number one, accept your brother and sister in the Lord. Number two, live and let live for the Lord. And number three, worry about your own life because judgment day is coming to you and a neighborhood near you. And so (laughs) 
Let's dive in. That's kind of the outline here. We'll dive into accept your brother, note takers number one, verses one through four. And a call to really, uh, the word accept means to make a place for, make room for them. God has made room for them. So who are you to exclude somebody who is annoying you because they have more scruples than you do? Now, scruples is a word we don't normally use, and when we use it, we use it in the wrong way. Scruples, really, the definition of scruples is to have a nagging feeling that what you're doing is not moral. So if you have a lot of scruples, you have a a lot of pangs with your conscience always going off about personal areas that aren't very clear in the scriptures. And it says, accept that brother without trying to change them either way on the spectrum. And so in a nutshell, here's what's going on in Rome. Uh, A plethora of different lifestyles, cultures, and ethnicities exist together under one roof now. Rome was a big city, so you have rich, and you have poor, and you have upper society and lower society, social classes. You have religious, cultic, pagan people from idolatrous uh, worship, Uh, Formally and strict monotheistic Jews, you have lifestyles that are vile and vulgar and uh, virtuous. You have got the greedy swindlers and the temple prostitutes next to the upright Stoics who valued wisdom and harsh discipline of the body. And they're all sitting next to each other and they start getting saved. And now they come under one roof one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism, and called to be as Jesus' high priestly prayer, Father, make them one as we are one. Well, that's a recipe for disaster, (laughs) it sounds like, because you've got all of these people who are coming out of all of those lifestyles and all of those worldviews coming together now with the question, what's right for me in these little areas of life that that are all around us every day. And that's what happens when the gospel came to town. John 3.16, they all got saved, and now they're sitting next to each other with their former selves, uh, trying to come up with a way that's pleasing to God. So that's the big question. How do I live out my new life in Christ? And so, first of all, he's saying... You've got to suspend judgment here without, because of dis, on considering disputable matters, not matters that are clear. I mean, we speak into each other's lives. That's what discipleship is. Uh, when there's clear, where your behavior is clear, the, the scriptures are clear, and then we uh, see what's going on, let's say if it's sexual immorality, that's clear. There's no suspending judgment there. Then we have to uh, make an assessment, make a judgment call, and then act appropriately in love and humility, taking the log out of our own eyes, and work with people, right? Even then, we're called to uh, love and mercy and grace. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about matters where you cannot find chapter and verse. And... Uh, people with strong convictions will try to show you in the Bible, oh, here it is, chapter and verse, but then there's a lot of contortion 
as, as a, a twisting of the scriptures uh, to make their point. But at the end of the day, sorry, uh, there's just a ping to your conscience, but not really a chapter and verse for you uh, to rest your case upon. And so he's calling us to unity here. And if we don't have the chapter and verse, he says we have to suspend judgment and make room for that person. Now, two types of people we're talking about in the opening paragraph. The overactive conscience, he calls the weaker in faith. And the Christian with a quieter conscience, he calls the stronger. Now, I think it would be better to understand this this way, that weak in faith means weaker in the faith. Uh, Because Jesus said, if you follow my teachings, you are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it's the knowledge of the truth that brings Christian liberty. And so if there's not a strong understanding of the truth, there's not an enablement to enjoy Christian liberty. So they're weak in the faith, in their understanding of the faith. I think that's a better way uh, to think about it. And so it's not an insult to call the brother with a lot of scruples a week in the faith. He's protecting you. He's saying, hey, brother, come on in with all your pings, 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 pings. And all your, I can't, I can't do that, I can't do this. And neither should anybody else. That's the problem. (laughs) That's the problem, but we're going to get to that. And you can put back the scripture there. Thank you. And um, so, yeah, so... You may have the strong faith, but here the strong faith came to you because of your knowledge. And the problem with that is that 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1 says, knowledge tends to make you arrogant. So yeah, you know the truth about Christian liberty, and then you come down, looking down your nose at those who have more scruples and are constantly uh, restricting themselves about in areas that they need not to, according to your conscience. And so... While you may be the stronger in faith, the rebuke is still there. And so because you don't handle the other brother in love, even though you know better, and you're enjoying more Christian liberty, you're sinning because you're not exercising love. You see? So he says, if you have the faith to move mountains, you have the greatest faith in the world. You're the strongest believer in the church, but you're a big zero with your attitude if you don't have love. And that's not my opinion. That's 1 Corinthians 13. So you notice here, and it's a warm welcome and acceptance to those with the overworking conscience and one that is more quiet there. And so let me start with an example, an illustration from the 21st century in Santa Cruz County, where I used to live when I first became a Christian. Then we'll work back to the examples that he uses in the text. And so uh, there in Santa Cruz, I got saved. I was 19. I had a buddy who was about the same age who came out of the surf culture. And uh, we hit it off, and we were really good friends. Now, his particular group of surfer friends, man, they were kind of a, uh, a motley crew, All right, they did some drugs, and there was a lot of immorality going on, and the language, and he went to go surfing after he became born again, and ping, 
his conscience went off, and he decided it's a sin for me to serve. And so because he could get sucked into it, and every time he went to wax the board or whatever, he'd feel uncomfortable. This is not what I should do. Now, we've got another brother in the fellowship who doesn't feel the ping at all. He doesn't. Do you know, when I say ping, you know what I'm talking about, right? This thing. All right. See, during the week, I'm not just drinking coffee. I'm planning this out. All right. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so the dude, you, you, you know, there's another surfer who he goes serving. He smells what they're smoking. He hears what they're saying. He remains pure. He's like Teflon coated by the Holy Spirit. He's got a ministry. He takes out his Bible and says, "Bro, listen, you know." What? Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> I'm not a surfer, dude. I was a disco dude. <laughs> so, so those are the, there's the weak brother and the strong brother. And the problem is they just can't exist side by side and bless the other one and be happy for the other one. No, one has to resent the freedom of the one and the other one has to look down his nose at the one who's got all the rules and regulations, and that's exactly what he says not to do. Two Christians, two convictions, the Bible's silent, what to do? Well, he says, here's the template of what happens here. The stronger in faith, follow me in the verse three, looks down on the weaker one with the rules. Now, uh, that's what usually happens. And in this case, it would be the word there to look down is strong. It means to write him off, to say whatever. To, it means to count as nothing, to devalue the person. So because, especially because the one who's stronger in the faith sees the weaker one as uh, accusing them in their enjoyment of something they're not getting any pain for. And that's not a sin. But they hear the person, and sometimes the person's actually doing it, accusing the brother, how could you go out there? How could you be with them? How could bad company corrupts good morals? See, there's a stretch there, isn't there? Right? And so, yes, this is the problem of looking down on the weaker. And then when the person who is the weak one, what does he do? He judges. In the word there, crino, he, to, to condemn. To say, hey, you know what? And, and this is how it goes. What I cannot do so easily translates into what you cannot do either. And what's okay for me so easily translates into what's okay for everybody in these negotiable, indifferent, inconsequential matters, okay? I missed the, one of the sounds in that word, but you'll forgive me. <laughs> All right, you figured it out. And, and so, yes, here's how it usually goes. The overactive conscience tends to condemn those who don't share their personal self-imposed restrictions. They often feel superior. Oh, yes, I don't eat that, you know, or I do this or I don't do that. So the weaker person with the scruples judges and feels superior uh, in godliness and holiness and maturity to the other one, and the one with the freedom, as I've been saying, uh, uh, exuthaneo, 
you know, somebody doesn't drink wine or drink beer, they'll get a, oh, you religious types don't like to take a glass of beer or whatever. And so that's the tension. And Paul's got an example in the scriptures here. Two classes of believers there in Rome. Uh, The weak believer who's a vegan for Christ for spiritual reasons, not for health. And you have a strong believer there who eats whatever is put in front of him, as the verse says. And he is a carnivore for Christ. Okay, so you have a vegan for Christ and a carnivore for Christ as well. Now, how did you get to be a Christian who's a vegan for spiritual reasons in your own thinking? Number one, Jews lived all their lives with kosher Restrictions. Kosher means fitting. So what was fitting by Moses' law? No, let's just pick on pork, okay? They're, they're, they're not supposed to eat pork, right? And so he, he came to Christ as a Jew, as many did. And now he's saying, you know what? When I sit down to eat the pork chop, I know in my head it's okay now that Christ fulfills all of that. And I'm free to eat, but I get a ping. And so for me, I just can't uh, do that. And the reason he's a vegetarian is because it's not just the content on the plate, it's how the meat was prepared that has to be kosher. So he's not going to trust no Greek uh, pagan uh, trained butcher because there were ways to butcher the animal that that made it kosher. So he's going to say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to give up meat altogether. And that's okay. And then we've got uh, uh, we've got another reason. Oh, two pagan guys get saved. And one decides, oh, I can't eat the meat. Why? Oh, the temple shrine pagan priests would dedicate the meat, the bull, with sacrifices and incense and all kinds of eerie, spooky incantations, offering the animal to Zeus. And then they'd chop up the meat and they'd have a barbecue there in the temple grounds. And then you'd get the best cuts that way, and he the smoking of the incense, and it's kind of maybe stamped with a picture of Zeus on the side of the roast, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And so the guy gets saved, and he says, he looks at the roast, and he goes, sees the incense and the hocus pocus going over. He's like, oh, no, 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 I will not eat that. Well, then the other brother, the stronger one, says, I, I know stuff. I know, number one, there's no such thing as Zeus. You know what else I know? That there's only, there's no God but one. And an idol is nothing at all in this world. The priest's words, it's nonsense. Jesus pronounced all things clean. We heard that in the gospel. Paul said to eat whatever you want. We heard that in the gospel. Plus, I'm trying to win these uh, pagan temple priests working there. I like to go there, sit there, order the best cut of meat, and then I share a Bible verse or something like that. So he doesn't get any pains, right? And this is who he is. Uh, But he says, watch out for your knowledge that you don't stumble somebody who's like, I can't believe you're eating at the temple to Zeus. You're supporting the work with your money there but he doesn't have your ping. That's your ping. That's your thing. If it's your ping, (laughs) 
And your pain can't be his thing. You can't make it. You can't be trying to change everybody to see life the way you, you want to see it when you can make a case for both situations. And so he says, here's the answer. Accept one another. Brothers, make room for each other. God makes room. And here he comes in verse 3. Look for it. He says, it's not, who are you? Who are you to judge somebody else's servant? He's got to judge. In these areas that are silent, live and let live here, and he's got somebody who's going to, he's going to have to answer to. And I love what it says. Hey, there's no spiritual grounds. There's no sin. So you can't judge him because there's no sin to judge him on. And number two, uh, there's, there, you don't know his heart. Only God can judge the heart. So you don't have the right to be the one evaluating him in disputable matters. And so it would be like me going into in and out and ordering a double-double, which I've known to do. <laughs> yes, no onions, thank you very much. Extra tomatoes, yes, on the fries. You know, you can make them animal fries if you want. You know, and I'll take a drink. And by the way, I have your job evaluation right here. Okay, so, you know, here, here, and here, you've been late lately. And, uh, you know, what? He'd look at me like, who are you to evaluate me? I have a boss. I have an employer. And I sit down with him, and he tells me if I'm late or early or whatever, right? That's the point here. Everybody's got an employer. Every one of us has a motivation to please, all things being equal, everybody in this room. We want to please God. We have a, a boss. We have a master. That's his job. And he's saying, bud, out of my department. He's saying, how dare you? And he says, by the way, the person who's annoying you right now, he's living to God, and God has made room for him, and God is able to make him stand. In other words, if he needs to drop some of his pings, God's able to help him get through this. If he needs to add some pings, God's able to do that as well. But it's these disputable matters are private matters between you, your soul, and God. And they need to stay there or they cause trouble. They cause division. And they come against the unity that God wants us to have. Paul goes on. Verses 5 through 9. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Everybody make up your own mind. Do some soul searching. Figure out what's right for you. And then keep it between you and God. He's going to say that later in the chapter and so on and so forth. Uh, let's walk through this now with point number two. We, we, we live and let live for the Lord. That's point number two. So here comes the, one of the answers to how to get, get along with people with differing convictions is uh, to change your focus. To, to see the motivation of everybody in this room is to please God. All things being equal, I don't know your hearts, but most people gathered here want to please God. And so he wants us to see 
as a motivation to receive one another and be tolerant and patient and kind and loving and accepting of one another by looking at the fact that the person with the, the overactive conscience and the person enjoying Christian liberty are both brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, trying to please the Lord. They're living to him, and that's what he wants. Uh, sometimes we get myopic, and it's all about, you know, so-and-so is doing this. They shouldn't be doing this. Or so-and-so isn't doing this, and they should be doing this. And so the focus is on changing you, and we've spent so much time on you that he's saying, hey, you're missing out on living for the Lord. Your job is to live for the Lord. They're living for the Lord. Live and let live in regard to personal convictions and preferences of Christian lifestyle. That's what he's saying, you know. And so he's, he's back with another scenario. Apparently, two Orthodox Jews got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, as they often do. And uh, as practice all through their lives, they were taught to obey and commemorate certain days. The Sabbath was a biggie, right? And then all the holidays on the Jewish calendar uh, really were to be kept. Three of them were mandated to be. And they're used to the foods. They're used to their families. They're used to the connection. And some of them would get saved. And the one with knowledge, the stronger one, would say, hey, every day is alike. See it in the verse? Every day is the same. Because Christ is our Sabbath rest. Hebrews chapter 4. And all of those uh, feast days, like Passover, pointed to the Passover lamb. Oh, I get it. So now all the feasts and holidays that were pointing to Christ, now that Christ came, the person and work of Christ has been fulfilled, those days are insignificant. They're indifferent. They don't have any meaning. Now, if you like to celebrate them because they're your heart thing, or you get a ping or two, you want to just, you know, worship on Sunday and Saturday, which some of them did, fine. But the stronger person said, every day is alike. I don't need to keep the holiday. The weaker person said, you know what? I know that I'm saved by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, but I, I do want to keep some of the holidays it remains a connection between me and my family. I'm witnessing. I've got a reason for the ping, right? And so we're going to let them keep the day because it's not a sin, right? It's not a sin. And so he, look at this great point here with great, uh, awesome, verse 6. He says, he says, look at the two brothers. Now, now we're back to the dietary thing again. So the two Jews, one guy goes into uh, the restaurant with his buddy. They're both saved. They're both Jews, right? But one says, you know, I'm not eating the meat. And the other one says, I'm, I'm going to order a steak. The other one orders a three-bean salad. Now, watch this. Watch this in verse 6. He says, watch the waitress. Here she comes. She's got the two orders. She's got the three-bean salad, and she's got the filet mignon, whatever. She's got the T-bone. I prefer T-bone. So let's go with the T-bone. So she slaps down the T-bone. She slaps down the three-bean salad. They, and then watch this. Here it goes. Three, two, one. Watch their heads. They both bow. They both 
give thanks, Lord. Thank you for what I'm receiving, that you've made all food clean. Thank you for this enjoyable meal with my brother. Done. The other one bows and says, Lord, you know how I am. Thank you that I can eat this meal of vegetables and just feel that I'm doing the right thing for you. And I just give thanks to you, God, for what I'm receiving. Done. Do you see? He's saying, look at both of you. The one who um, makes a jack-o'-lantern on Halloween and takes his kids treating, trick-or-treating, <laughs> or treating, tricking. <laughs> and the one who wants to abstain because of their own pain. You're both doing what you're doing with joy in your hearts to God. You're giving thanks to God for the memories you're building with your kids and the fun you're having and for an excuse to go up and rob people of perfectly good candy. (laughs) You're down with that. (laughs) But it always doesn't go that way. And so he says, uh, notice in verse 5 there, make up your own mind. Really, these issues are, are kind of complicated depending on who you are and what you came out of and what you think and who you're connected to. There's a lot on the line. But he says, you figure it out and then stick to your guns, ping or no ping. But don't enforce that on others. So once you figure it out, keep quiet, live it out, and accept your brother in these kinds of matters. And I, I got to say, you know, we, you, you... There's so many things. So whether or not you have a Christmas tree, that seemed to be popular back a few years ago or not. Are you going to do Easter eggs with your kids or not? Whatever you think about these things, decide for yourself and keep it to yourself and make room for the person who they do the Christian egg thing and those who don't because you cannot find a verse. Thou shalt not do an egg contest. <laughs> oh, or do you homeschool or do you do the public schools? Do you have a worship team or is it just a lady on an organ or is it a lady on a piano, not an organ? And my word, is the cross on the side and not in the front? Because we have a problem with that. What are you saying? The cross is secondary to what's on behind me or by the, the carpet? How much did that carpet cost? Are we supposed to be doing things like that? You cannot run your life by the pings of other people. But the point of the passage is you do not discount them as human beings. You deal with them in love and you do your best. He's going to say you bend over backwards not to offend people who have a a lot of personal convictions. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Well, a uh, funny story here about how crazy it can get. John Wesley is the father of the Methodist uh, movement back in the 1700s, a brilliant man of God. And there he was pastoring, and uh, his church was going through a season of a lot of this kind of thing, a lot of people enjoying to criticize every little thing, what godly and what is not. And up comes a lady after a really good sermon 
and says, Pastor, I couldn't hear a word of your sermon because of your tie. So he had a new tie, and it was sort of like a bolo tie by the way it's described in the story. And she said, those strings hanging down are much too long and worldly. That's how the men in the world have long strings like that. So John Wesley's all, okay. What? Any ladies got a scissors? And so one of the ladies, of course, well, la ladies and scissors from the dawn of time, right? <laughs> Out comes a woman with the scissors. And so he puts it in her hands and says, I, I want you to cut them to the length you consider godly. <laughs> so she said, are you sure, Pastor? He said, yes, of course, I want to be godly. <laughs> so she snipped here and snipped there laid it down, and he said, thank you so much. Now, I do have a word of correction for you. Is that okay? And she says, certainly. So can you hand me back the scissors? <laughs> so he gets the scissors in the hands, and he says, you know what? I think that your tongue is a little too long. It's too critical. You use it to gossip a lot. It's really long and wagging. So I would like to make some... Uh, trimmings to it. <laughs> and while well, she left the church, right? Not before he could do the world a service. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. Listen, we Christians have become a laughing stock to what we have attributed to as godly and not so godly. Oh, yes, what we can and can't do. And if you go back a few years, it's crazy, all caps crazy. I don't even believe some of the stories I hear from the older saints, as we call them. Oh, I don't. There is a woman in this church who said, Pastor Ross, I know. I know I'm free to play board games. But every time they bring out the board games, she's in her older years now. She says, still, and it's a joke, but I just abstain because I, it was beat into me that those who played board games and cards were being sinful. Well, the world looks at this kind of, these kinds of shenanigans. Oh, my word, it goes on. A pastor was talking once at a conference, and he said, he's telling, you know, the, the other pastors. He said, you know... The church was doing well, and uh, we lived in a big city, and, you know, I needed a new car, and so I saw on the used car lot, a uh, BMW, I thought, oh, I love German-made cars, and it'll last me forever. It was an entry-level kind of car, and he said, you know, I got, it was three years used, and I'm like, it's three years used, it's entry-level, I got a killer deal, I'm going to buy it. So he bought it, and he pulls up and, and ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Lots of dings go off. And so they come, Pastor, you're driving a BMW. And nothing, it, it didn't matter what he said. So he told his wife, and his wife said, just get rid of it. But, but uh, just get rid of it. So he got rid of it, and he went out, and he spent $15,000 more and bought a Subaru Outback. <laughs> Which was perfectly fine. Oh, everybody's so happy now. The pastor's now godly. <laughs> Let me show you a picture of this craziness. 
this on your car? Oh, you're an ungodly man. Oh, he's ungodly. Oh, terrible man. What a sinner. <gasps> My word. <laughs> Sorry. This on the car? Oh, look at him. He's so humble, modest, and godly, right? But I beg to differ with you. I think it's worse to have this one. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six is a bad number in the Bible. <laughs> Thank you for that. Here's what the Bible says. Leave your craziness at home. Leave your craziness to yourself. Please, don't bring it in. It doesn't make any sense. And you can justify, you can think, you know, well, you know, I got a reason. You, you know what? Believe it or not, I do have a ping about what kind of car a pastor should drive. I do. I have a ping. I don't, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. But, but when the other guy drives by, I try to silence my pinger. <laughs> so when the other pastor across town pulls up in a <laughs> Oh, we're such blockheads, all of us. So he does go on in 7 through 9 to say, look, here's the bottom line. Live for God. He's living for God. The guy with the nicer car or, or the, <laughs> the less expensive nicer car that you're not supposed to drive. You know, he loves the Lord just like the other guy. God's got this. Amen. He's got this. It's like kind of chillax, weaker brother. God's got the guy with the Land Rover eating a double-double and singing oldies. He's got him. And chillax, stronger brother. God's got the guy in the Prius eating falafels, singing how great thou art. He's Lord of both of them. There's a fish on back of the bumpers on both cars. And they both bowed their heads before the falafel, before the double-double, and they thanked God. And one is better than the other, more spiritual or less spiritual, because none of it is consequential. None of it. Try as you will. Amen? It's time to finish up, people. Here we go, verses 10 through 12, and we're done. You then, oh, here's a shout out because he's, he's rebuking both stronger and weaker when they're troublemakers. Because you can be stronger and weaker and not be a uh, troublemaker. So here he goes. Why then, weaker brother, do you judge and crino? That's the word, crino, to condemn your brother who's enjoying his Christian liberty. Or why do you, who have the Christian liberty, despise or look down on your brother who's got an overactive conscience? He's your brother. Now, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Remember, as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every name. The pings and the non-pings will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God about every bite, every thought, every purchase, every lifestyle choice will confess and give accountability to me, the only righteous 
judge to God himself. Let's look at this. So we are to accept our brother, to live and let live in the Lord. And now concentrate on managing our own lives. And here, I'm going to save you $125 an hour by a Christian therapist. The only person you can change is yourself. You might find yourself at Judgment Day thinking, wow, I spent a lot of time, a lot of time trying to change my spouse. And a lot of years went by, and whoops, I could have been looking in the mirror and seeing how I contribute to the problem because the only person you could have changed was yourself. And in changing yourself, you would have facilitated a faster and more in-depth change in the other. That's how it goes. That's Bible 101. And so here he's saying two sharp jabs, first to the guy with a lot of conscience uh, activities. He's just saying, how dare you bring the gavel in areas that not even a sin? How dare you, he says. Let me give you an example of a brother who brought me some crino, which is condemnation. I was at a wedding. Beautiful day, sunshine. I'm just chilling, you know, and there was a, a bar there, you know, with lots of beverages, and I grabbed one of the beverages, I popped it open, tossed it back, I'm enjoying myself, and so somebody came up to me, oh my word, ping, 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 all I heard was pings, and I was like, whoa, what's all the pinging, to? whoa, in my face, Pastor Ross, you call yourself a pastor, I said, yeah, <laughs> what I am, and yeah, yeah, you know, oh, way to enjoy your Christian liberty. What if there's somebody here for, who's struggling as an alcoholic? What about all the things you said from the pulpit? What things? I, you know, whatever. I let him talk. I said, continue. Go ahead. What other problems do you have with me? And he listed one, two, three, all the reasons why I, I should be judged and condemned, right? And I let him go because I knew what was coming. I held up the bottle, turned it ever so slightly, and showed him the label, vanilla cream soda. <laughs> it looked like a beer. Bing! <laughs> now, I have the pink. Go easy on him. Go easy on him. Oh, I wanted to toss him on the barbecue with the chicken. Dude, read the labels. I love doing this. I make them read it. Read the label. And so sucrose, high corn syrups, fructose, dextrose, and all of that. He should have been more concerned about those ingredients than any hops, you know? That's the thing. If you got a ping about beer and a glass of wine with spaghetti, have your ping. And don't enjoy a glass of wine with your spaghetti. But you cannot crino come barreling in to somebody else's life where there is no thou shalt not enjoy a beer or a glass of wine. Sorry. Now you can build some cases and there's some wisdom involved and common sense things. But outside of that, you know, this is what he's saying. He's saying... I want you in all of these areas to accept one another. Make room in your hearts as God 
has made room for you in disputable matters. Number two, live and let live for the Lord side by side. Help the weaker one and accept the stronger one and walk with God together because one day we will all stand before God. And here's the three takeaways for me about closing with such a strong message that everybody will stand before God. Number one, it says, I better stop the bad behavior of judging people. You know when Jesus says, if you judge in the wrong way, you will be judged. So what is he saying? He's saying when you sin against people, slander them and judge them and exclude them, you're going to hear about that on Judgment Day. Yes, believer, we all stand before the Lord in judgment. Our judgment is on works and faithfulness, and we will either be rewarded or loss of reward without condemnation coming into play, but we still get evaluated. So he says, number one, don't wrongly judge or you're going to hear about it when you're judged. And then number two for me, everyone without exception will be evaluated by God. And so I understand, look, in that area, God will deal with them. The Holy Spirit will convict them if need so in that area. If somebody asks you about these things, it's okay to counsel with them. But at the end of the day, they can walk away either uh, wanting to keep the conviction or to release themselves from the conviction. But either way, you will love them and accept them. And then the last thing, the last line is the kicker. When God, when God puts his hand on a Bible, raises his hands and, and swears by himself that something's going to happen, ooh, Something's going to happen. And that something is that you and I have an appointment to which we will never be late. We will be standing there giving an account for all of this. And so that just releases me from the job of having to be God in everybody else's life. You know, the God squad, you know, we don't need a mod squad. We don't need a God squad. We just need one another to speak the truth about what's clear in love and leave the rest to the grace of God. Let's pray together. So Father God, we thank you for these marvelous truths uh, sometimes are hard to hear that some of our very deeply, seriously held convictions are not necessarily right for other people. So help us, God, to let loose a little bit and to apply grace and kindness and make room for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 